in three, two, one. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 35th episode of the Atlas Society Asks. My name is Jennifer Grossman. My friends know me as JAG. I'm CEO of the Atlas Society. We are the leading nonprofit connecting young people to the ideas of Ayn Rand in creative ways. Um, today, we are joined by Lenore Skenazy. Before I even get into introducing her, I would like to remind all of you, this is a wonderful opportunity to ask her your questions live. So if you're on Zoom, just type them into the chat. And if you are uh, joining us live on YouTube, then just type them into the comment section. Uh, we will get to as many of them as possible. So back in 2008, Lenore, um, as a columnist for the New York Sun, wrote a column entitled, Why I Let My Nine-Year-Old Ride a Subway, the Subway Alone. Well, that landed her in a worldwide spotlight, um, interviewed by all of the major media outlets, but also uh, got her tarred as America's worst mom. Um, fortunately, that led to uh, a, a book, Free Range Kids, which really turned into an entire movement. Today, uh, Lenore is president and co-founder of Let Grow. It's a nonprofit that promotes childhood independence and resilience, as well as provides resources for parents, teachers, and legislate, legislators. Lenore, Welcome again. Thanks for joining us. Thanks. I didn't realize I should be calling you Jag. That's it. Okay, Jag. I had that in my mind. You were Jennifer. Now you're Jag. Okay. Uh, you know, the funny thing is that um, this this upcoming interview prompted a lot of reflections about um, my childhood and then also talking with my mother. So when I was growing up, 1966, the year I was born, Jennifer was the most popular name. So and I was, think for another 20 years thereafter, I mean, that yeah. was just the name. Yeah. So there was, there were so many, I, I just got tired of being, you know, this, the, the tall Jennifer or the whatever Jennifer. Uh, so I just started going with my initials. So, so there, oh, okay. there you have it. Um, and, uh, you know, I, one of the other reasons I was really looking forward to this interview is that we started this webinar series during lockdowns and uh, we've had a lot of people that uh, have, I think, correctly pointed to some of the trade-offs, some of the negative consequences uh, of the lockdown for kids. But I was inspired that you actually had um, found some, some silver linings. So uh, tell us about what you've, um, you've been seeing, what you've discovered. Okay, great. And actually, I just have to ask you a question. If I look like this, do I look like I'm looking down and sad? Because this is the way I look at your face. But if I look here, I'm looking into the camera. Should I be looking into the camera? Look, look yes. Look at the blue dot. Look ah, okay. I will do your bidding. Um, so here's the deal. Uh, at Let Grow, we really believe that kids flourish when they have some free time. I know that sounds crazy, but some unstructured, even unsupervised time, probably like if you were born in 66, you had a Jag when you were growing up, you probably had a banana bike. Uh, you probably went to the Baskin Robbins. You probably were me <laughs> back then. And, um, and you appreciated it. And maybe you got into some scrapes 
maybe you had some adventures, maybe you just enjoyed doing whatever you were doing without it being for, you know, someone else. It wasn't for a, a coach. It wasn't for a teacher. It wasn't for a grade. It was just because you loved, you know, playing something or making something or doing something. And uh, like grow, we feel like we've taken that so, not we, not like grow, but society over the past two generations, I, I hate to say it, it's just two generations, um, has been making childhood into sort of a resume building time. And the, the, the twin fears that we say are stalking American parents are that their children will be kidnapped, raped and eaten or not get into Harvard. <laughs> and either way, it's such a horrible tragedy that you better be with them all the time, helping them, watching them, goosing them, you know, making sure that they're not hurt in any way, shape or form. And to us, that's been a mixed bag, let's put it that way, because kids are getting pretty anxious and without any time to figure out what you really love to do because you're just doing stuff because you're driven to it and it's good for you and you should be doing it and this will help you in the long run. How do you figure out who you really are, what you really love to do, and even you know your trajectory? I did a fun story for Reason recently where I asked a lot of people, could they see the germ of who they were gonna become or an interest starting really young. Um, and I'll ask you that in a minute, but I do have to rattle on because there's a point to this, which is that we thought when suddenly COVID hit and kids weren't in soccer and they weren't in school and they weren't going to Kumon and they were sort of thrown for a loop, especially at the very beginning when the remote schooling hadn't really geared up yet. Um, they had what we'd been hoping they had, except it happened to be via pandemic, which was scads of free time unstructured time. And so we quickly put together a survey and asked 1600 kids ages eight to 13 across the economic spectrum and across the geographic spectrum and 1600 parents, what, what new things were the kids doing, getting into learning just for fun. And it was, it was a very cheerful experience to hear, um, you know, what parents were surprised by And most of it was so good. I mean, that was, we were sort of eager to ask these questions because we live in a society where everything is, what's the worst thing? You know, like, let's mm -hmm. focus on all the terrible things that are happening. Like, we know it's terrible. Nobody wants a pandemic, right? So let's see if there's anything positive going on. And there was just a whole lot of growth in kids, sort of wacky, quirky interests and figuring out what they liked. So that's, that has been a, a silver lining of COVID. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that uh, definitely sounds like it was a silver, silver lining. Also, parents having um, a greater window into yes. what uh, their children were being taught. So there was more transparency. And, and, and some parents said, you know what, this isn't working for me. I'm going to try some other kind of option um, because of the content, you know, of what they were being taught. Yeah, I was going to say what they also had a window into, um, because we didn't actually ask about the content of school or do you approve or disapprove, but we asked, you know, what are you seeing in your kid that you hadn't seen? And parents were spending way more time at home than they had before, as were the kids. And when we asked parents, we gave them a list and it, you know, when you do a legitimate survey, it tumbles the words around. So it's not always the same order. So you're not getting the bias of I'll just click off the first five. And we asked, um, are you feeling, you know, angry, disappointed, proud, excited, um, 
you know, all these different adjectives about your kids. And the top one was proud. I mean, and that wasn't always, you know, the top one in your choices. And the bottom one was disappointed. And I think, you know, when when life before COVID was this giant rush, you know, to, to get ready for school and out the door and off to soccer and come home and reading log and homework and you know, you didn't really get to, you're, sometimes some parents said that they didn't even have time for their kids to help them out around the house because to teach them how to do the, the dishes or the sweeping or the cooking would have taken too much time. And if they spilled, oh my God, you know, you're 15 minutes behind and you'll never make it up. You'll, you know, the whole day will be ruined. And so parents were sort of doing a lot of stuff for the kids that when they didn't have to rush that way. I mean, it was literally because they didn't have to rush <laughs> that the kids started blossoming. And I, and can I tell you one cute story? Please. All right. So this Maybe was when one. I was, okay. Well, all right. This is, this is number one. Then. So um, one mom uh, who was a mother of one in Virginia used to be a school counselor. Then she moved to Virginia and she was now a stay at home mom and her daughter was seven in first grade. And she said that before COVID, Every morning when it was time to get up, she'd go and she'd wake up her kid and then she'd go do something and then she'd come back and the kid was still asleep. And we're going to call the kid Jennifer. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Why not? It's not you anymore. Right, right, right. And Jennifer, you know, it's time to get up and like, oh, get up. And then you come back, Jennifer, you're still not up. I can't believe it. Oh, my God. All right. Here's your clothes. I'll go downstairs. And the mom would run downstairs and get breakfast ready and put out the juice and the cereal. And, you know, Jennifer's dragging her feet. And so she'd put stuff in the backpack and there goes the books and the homework or whatever. And finally, you know, Jennifer would come and eat what she had to eat. And then it would be like, let's get in the car already, because if you don't get in the car already, you're going to be at the end of the line at the drop off, which means that you're there for the next 36 years. <laughs> Just no fun. And you're late for work and she's late for school. And so you rush out the door and you get her and you drop her off and then you continue on to whatever you're doing. And um, that was a normal morning. And then COVID hits, school goes remote, mom's not working. Mom starts sleeping in in the morning, right? Because she doesn't have to get her kid anywhere with this split second timing. And her daughter, no longer being rushed and dragged out of bed and treated like, you know, the dog, you know, starts getting out of bed on her own. And she goes downstairs and what does she do? She makes breakfast. She gets out the cereal somehow and pours her juice and her milk. And then, this is my favorite part, is that then some mornings, not every morning, but some mornings, then she goes, gets out a banana, gets out a yogurt, goes to the toaster, toasts a couple pieces of bread, gets them out, butters them for her mom and makes breakfast for the mom. So suddenly she's, mm. and the thing that's so interesting to me about that story is not that, oh my God, a seven-year-old can make breakfast, obviously, but she had it, <laughs> right? The way our world was structured, the way our days were run with all this split second timing, you know, it never occurred to either of them that there was this alternative child un unborn, you know, that hadn't come out yet, hasn't poked its way through. Uh, and, and it wouldn't have come out had there not been this very dramatic and drastic sudden change in our lives. So the way I phrase it um, to make sense to me, and uh, I think it makes, hopefully makes sense to you, which is that kids are seeds, right? And there's all this, you know, information, DNA in them, but seeds need water to grow. Mm -hmm. And for kids, free time <laughs> is the water. They hadn't had any. Yeah. 
So um, now that you did that uh, study or that survey, survey. I think mm -hmm. pretty early on. Um, mm -hmm. and you've we been did it in, yeah, April and May, I'm pretty sure. Right, yeah. so, so for a lot of people, the lockdowns were still like really relatively um, new. Now we've been in mm -hmm. them you know, almost, almost a year. Do, do you think that those results you know, have shifted or, or um, are you seeing, you know, you know. some of the negativity of kids feeling, because certainly we see, and I, I know from uh, listening to your, to your book on Audible. Um, oh, good for you. Yeah. That's not me that, reading it. It's a funnier person. Um, she's great. Yeah. Uh, that, uh, that the, the news uh, feeds us, feeds fear and, and serves up the uh, the worst headlines, but you know I have been even even the New York Times recently. Um, well, even the New York Times, New York Times, pretty pretty depressing. <laughs> yes, even the, well the, the New York Times has has really uh, I think shied away from some of the the negative um, consequences uh, and and possible trade offs with with lockdowns and uh, so, but even the New York Times. Uh, had an article about um, oh. suicides and yeah, yeah. I, yeah now you'll see what a total wimp I am I couldn't read the article uh. I just couldn't read the article it's just too sad and and horrible but um what am I seeing I cannot specify what I'm seeing because it does seem like an entire gamut of things that are going on. On the one hand, kids are getting along better with their siblings, I think, because they have no one else to play with. On the yeah, other hand, yeah. you know, they're depressed and they're lonely. You know, they wish they could see their friends. I wish I could see my friends. I'm a party thrower. You know, mm -hmm. me with no parties is, you know, is a sad and wilting Lenore. Um, I know that parents have said that kids are helping out more around the house. And I think that just became normal when you know there was less time for the parents and more time for the kids and also the kids were bored you know so they did start doing some things is this a great time to be a kid no listen i'm this is where do i live i live in mm -hmm. in jackson heights queens i'm down the street from elmhurst hospital it was the hospital you saw on the news mm -hmm. every day um that's like three blocks that way and that's i'm sorry to hear a, a siren going by now let's hope it's not Let's hope it's something good. I guess that's that's not usually a siren. Um, so well, I think I like that positive thinking. Yeah, though. it's kind of crazy. I, I, I train myself to ignore reality. Is a little. It's a it's a losing proposition. What I'm hearing is that these are hard times for everybody. We all wish that we were, you know, that people weren't losing their jobs, that people weren't losing their lives, that we could go about our normal life, and we all certainly appreciate our old lives. A lot more just you know i used to be i travel a lot i give speeches mm -hmm. a lot and you know dragon laguardia is not the happiest place on earth that's also like a couple blocks that way and um and now i'm like oh to have an aunt annie's pretzel and be sitting in a hard chair and <laughs> accidentally forgetting my suitcase at the you know which is yes. what i've done you know from time to time you know, oh, for all these, you know, for being wanded, nobody's wanding me anymore. So um, it's, it's not the best of times, but I do believe that when kids go back to school, they're gonna be okay. I mean, one of the things that we do in our culture is we, uh, we underestimate the resilience of the species and particularly of kids. You know, I was thinking like, what is similar to this? And I was reading, I started reading, it's 800 pages, I gave up, um, this big biography of the Beatles. Did you, did you know that like Ringo spent about a year or two in a hospital with some, I don't remember if he had polio or what, but he was no. stuck in a hospital and he started playing 
the drums on like a, a bedpan or something. And, you know, he did okay afterwards, which is not to say that you want your kid to be stuck, you know, in the polio ward of hospital for two years, because that's the only way you'll ever get an international drumming sensation. But kids bounce back from things. And I think my hope is that when they come back to school, there won't be such a frantic effort to cram the, um, you know, the academics into them mm. that we're probably faltering a little this year that, you know, that we don't give them a lot of time to play and to, to goof around and to sort of make up for that kind of lost time, not just the academic lost time. So that's my yeah. hope. I, I think they'll spring back. You know, well, we're, we're a, an amazing species. Definitely, um, yes, encouraging. And I hope all of us spring back and that, yeah. uh, and that we not only spring back, but that we spring forward, you know, and that yeah. we spring ahead. Right. Because I do think that there are, I mean, the world has been getting better in so many ways. And it's so tempting to focus on the, the negative. Um, and uh, for those of you who are joining us on Zoom and on uh, YouTube, Please uh, tee up your questions and share also your ex experience, uh, folks, in terms of what you've seen with your children, with your grandchildren, and uh, what your childhood was like as opposed to, to what we see today. And I'm going to get to as many of them as possible. Please make them short because I just can't read, yeah. you know, paragraphs uh, on, <laughs> on Zoom. So, uh, Lenore, you wrote an article uh, that I thought was particularly interesting, um, titled "Smothered by Safety." Oh yeah, uh, yeah. And you said that parents have been convinced uh, to fear quote everything: creeps, kidnappers, germs, grades, flashers. I, I actually did see a few of those when I was a kid. Frustration. I, maybe death. we're going to talk about that. That's really interesting. Yeah. So, what what is what is driving this fear factor? Oh, that's my whole book. But let, let's talk about the strange topic you just brought up of flashers that you saw as a kid. And um, nobody wants their kid to see a flasher. It's gross. Yes. Um, but yes. I was talking to my friend. I, I, there's a but. Um, there is a but. That's the whole idea of a flasher. Uh, <laughs> I was talking to my friend's mom, who's 80. And she mentioned that she used to go to the park. She lived here in New York City uh, with her sister. And one day some guy, you know, motioned them over to the car and, you know, said to look in and they looked in and he pointed down ha, 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 and they're like, ah, and she said, and to this day, we giggle about it. Yeah. And um, I don't recommend, you know, hire a flasher so your children will be resilient and be able to giggle about this, you know, when, when it's 75 years later. But I do think that the, um, the insouciance of her response uh, was sort of um, normal, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, before, before we started seeing all untoward, unpleasant, uncomfortable experiences as automatically traumatic. And I'm not talking about real trauma because real trauma is traumatic, but we've sort of um, dumbed trauma down and in the process, we think like, well, we can't let our kids, you know, climb a tree because they could get hurt and we can't let them ride their bikes without, there was an article in uh, the Wall Street Journal just a couple months ago about um, a mom who wanted to give her child the same experience she used to have, which was to go down to the creek and play by herself. And it was a very wonderful memory of hers, the feeling of, you know, being one with nature and curious and alone and so the way that she realized or that she felt that she could give to her daughter um, the same experience was to give her a phone. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, and then the mom was really exulting because it, this whole thing had worked out so well because her daughter was riding her bike someplace and fell off her bike and could call her dad, you know, the husband, and dad could rush over and pick the girl up off her bike and maybe fix the bike for her. And what was interesting to me is that that's not the same experience at all. Uh, that the mom had. The mom had the experience of being on her own and if she tripped or scraped herself or got a little lost or confused Mm -hmm. or, you know, there was a snapping turtle, (laughs) you know, she had to deal with it and she couldn't call a parent or an adult over to deal with it instead, to be an intermediary. And the fact that the mom thought that these were the, you know, like, it's so great because now I can give her the exact same experience when to me it was the exact opposite experience Mm-hmm. That interests me because the assumption that you need to have the phone so that you can always contact an adult is back to this sort of underestimating kids and mm-hmm. overestimating the danger. So I think something is lost when kids don't encounter some friction that isn't horrible, but isn't perfect, right? Mm-hmm. And isn't immediately fixed by an adult. And that's what I'm trying to bring back. Even as I say, like, if, you know, if you want to give your kid a phone, that's fine. My kids have phones. There's no one right way to do it. It's just something to be thinking about. What does it mean when we assume that our kids always need an adult to intervene, lest something happen to them? Interesting. So uh, we've got a question here from Bill McLaughlin, who says he first became aware of your work, uh, Lenore, when he read the coddling of the American mind. Usually uh, I have it right here next to me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great. We've got to get those, those two on, uh, on our, our show yeah. next. Um, and, uh, and Bill has not yet read your, your book, but he's going to right, Bill. Uh, so he's uh, new edition coming out this summer. Yeah, <laughs> Actually, oh, John, really? John is the, uh, John wrote the forward, John Height. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Spectacular. Yeah. Um, so uh, Bill wanted to know, um, because he hasn't read uh, your, your book yet, okay. <laughs> um, that uh, the, the research uh, on the extremely low probability of serious negative consequences um, with free range kids, you know, like the kidnappings and et cetera, did you do that as uh, part of your research for the book or was it also sort of in uh, defense to the, the, the backlash or the, the controversy that you um, inspired with that uh, Sun column? Oh, um, I think I had done the research before the column. I, you know, I, I'm a newspaper columnist by trade. And so I do my research all the time. And when I looked back on old columns that I'd written before, why I let my nine-year-old ride the subway alone, I realized I'd written one about, yes, I let my six-year-old go to the bathroom and, you know, in, uh, you know, at the mall, actually not even a mall because we're, we're in New York, I guess it's like the, you know, the children's theater or something. And yes, I let my children go play in the courtyard without me. And as a newspaper reporter, which I was at the New York Daily News for 14 years, uh, you know, I knew that crime was going down in my city. I know that crime is at like a I think a 50 year low at this point, although with COVID it's been going up a little bit again. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, and then, but what I didn't do until I wrote my book was have somebody crunch the numbers for me. Um, And and I had this guy named Warwick Cairns Mm -hmm. who wrote a book called How to Live Dangerously. He's a British author. 
And I had them look at the numbers of, you know, what are the number, how many American kids are there and how many American kidnappings are, are there? And he crunched the numbers and he came up with this statistic that I quote a lot, which is that um, if for some reason you wanted your child to be kidnapped by a stranger off the street in what the, uh, the crime research call crime researchers call a stereotypical kidnapping, which I would call a law and order SVU kidnapping. Um, how long would you have to keep them outside for this to be statistically likely to happen? And that's it. It's, it's a weird way of framing it, but it's sort of like how many, how many Powerball, you know, uh, whatever you ever call them, tickets would you have to buy um, before you could be likely to win Powerball? So how long Jag, uh, do you think you would have to keep a kid outside? And maybe you got to that point in my book already mm -hmm. for it to be statistically likely that they would be kidnapped by a stranger. I think it was several hundred years. Is that right? It was several hundred thousand years. Yes. Yeah, several it, hundred thousand years. It was 750,000 years. Wow. And, yeah. and, and as I like to point out, um, after the first hundred thousand, it's really not a kid anymore. <laughs> so uh, it's just what I also discovered in doing all my research is that I have amazing numbers. I have, you know, your child is way more likely to die in a car ride to the store than, you know, than walking to the store. You know, uh, your child is more likely to be hit by lightning than this or that, you know, statistics that I could juggle like flaming hoops, but <laughs> it doesn't matter. Um, because the only thing that changes parents, it's not the numbers, it's not Lenore, it's not my book, it's not this fabulous podcast. Um, it is seeing their kid do something independently mm -hmm. and come home triumphant and come home, which they will. And that it's like the Grinch. It's like your heart grows three sizes larger that day. You're so proud of your kid that you can't remember. Why did I think he couldn't walk to the bus stop? Mm -hmm. Why did I think she had to, you know, have me watch the entire soccer game <laughs> it just changes you and it changes the kid because the kid sees that you believe in them finally, you know, not, you don't just love them, you believe in them and you do believe in them. And then you get this surge of joy at looking at this blossoming young man or woman, you know, like, like in the end of the music, man, that's my Henry. <laughs> um, and, and that's the joy that we've taken out of parents' lives by saying, no, you must be with them every second and making sure they're okay and holding their hand and cutting their meat. It's, it's, it's a drag for both generations. It's, it's a wrong turn that we took. Yeah, it, it's interesting. What you're, you're saying reminds me of that old um, Yiddish joke about uh, two Jewish mothers watching as one of the mother's son is being carried by. Um, <laughs> I know this and, joke. <laughs> uh, and the other mother says, Auntie what? You know, yeah, like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. This is terrible. You know, your son, he can't walk. And just as a tragedy. And, and the, the, uh, the mother of the son says, he can walk. Thank God he doesn't have to. So, right. you know. Um, right, right, so, right. But, All but, joke. But, I love it. So, what you, you know, what you're saying is that when we, when we let our kids walk, walk alone, walk, uh, run, do these different things um, that, uh, that we're actually building more resilient kids. And I think that uh, this is not the, the first of the, uh, the pandemics or um, emergencies or crises that we're going to go through. And, and uh, I, I, I wish <laughs> yeah, kids are going to grow up in, in many ways in a, in a better world. But I, I definitely, I've been through enough crises, you know, house burning down. You had a house burned down? 
Yeah, it's, I live in Malibu. It's in, in Malibu. It's not a question of uh, if; it's a question of when. So, hopefully, this one. But but the wow, what helped horrible. Me, I'm so yeah, sorry. <laughs> thank you. What but what helped me, I think, get through it is I had been through some other you know bad things in in my life. So I do kind of see that's the that, insurance company is calling. We're not going to pay. <laughs> no, 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 believe me. No, they 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 didn't. So yeah, no, that's uh, that is my. Now I'm living with. Uh, uh, this past this past few months, uh, you were asking me about books on the shelves, and it's my yeah. my dad's um, uh, his uh, textbooks. Um, so I've been taking care of, of um, my parents, and they've been taking care of me. And it speaks to what uh, what you were talking about is having this. We didn't you know volunteer for this. We haven't asked for this, but you know we we have these opportunities, and life can be what. We make of it. And so all of you guys watching, life is what you make of it. So ask uh, your question, um, just type them on in there to the chat and we will get to as many of them as possible. Make them short if you would, just because it's yeah. uh, to read them um, as we are. The time I'm reading is. this one now, the one about Minnesota and growing up and going to the park at five or six and the mom ring a dinner bell. I have to say that was common and people, people like those stories, but then mm -hmm. they say, I mean, I ask people like, what, what was your favorite thing you did as a kid? And generally it was, you know, whatever I said, just put it in your mind. And then I say, okay, was your mother with you? <laughs> and, you know, the hands come down <laughs> because the, really the great joy, I was just interviewing a woman yesterday from Nevada, where there, um, where there's two people sponsoring a, um, yes. you can call it a free range kids bill, you can call it a reasonable childhood independence bill, and um, the both the women, I mean, one is um, a, a gay African American Democrat, co-sponsoring the bill with a white Republican grandmother of twenty, and and what they both remember is the same thing getting on their bikes, going outside, making forts, playing with their friends. The, 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 the Republican lady was at age six. Um, she was living in a trailer and her mom worked during the day. And so she was free during the summer to go around and play. And the, the lady across the street befriended her and taught her how to cook and to iron. And a man befriended her. And instead of this being a horrible story, because most of them aren't, he showed her rocks and she became a sort of a fan of rocks for a while, which I am too. So, um, you know, the, we want to give kids the best of everything. And yet the best of what we remember often, and I'll ask you too, Jag, was, was becoming part of the world and figuring out what you liked to do. And people say, well, we can't do that now because times have changed, but quixotic though it may be, I am trying to make people realize that the thing that has changed is us, our, our fear level, our confidence level, our trust level, our catastrophizing level, um, but not the crime level. The crime level, as we've discussed, is, is back to what it was in the, the 60s. So it really is just, I would love to infuse us all with um, giving everybody the benefit of the doubt. Strangers mm -hmm. on the street, your own kids, parents who are raising their kids differently from the way you would. That doesn't mean it's horrible. That doesn't mean you should call the cops. Just like assume that, I think you'll live in a better world if you assume that most things are okay and that by dealing with some things that aren't okay, your kids rise to the occasion. So Lenore, tell us, uh, you talked, you mentioned the legislation. 
uh, tell us a little bit more about Let Grow um, oh, and you. about, you know, the, because I, I actually hadn't been aware, I, I, you know, I knew that you had the book. Um, I, I, I wasn't aware of the broad range of your activities and also um, what you are actually doing uh, to try to work with different people and stakeholders across the, the political spectrum. Completely to, across the spectrum. Yeah, That's, to get some, yeah. some actual legislative uh, reform. Right. So legislation is just a small part of what we're doing because we're a 501c3 and also because we do so many other things. But right now we do have laws being proposed in um, Nevada, South Carolina, Texas, Oklahoma, and Idaho. Um, that were inspired by the 2018 law that passed in Utah that was called the Free Range Parenting Law. And um, it said that it's not neglect to take your eyes off your kids. If you think your kids are ready to walk to school, play outside, and that's either because you want them to be free range or by necessity, you're working two jobs. So your seven-year-old or your eight-year-old comes home, makes a snack and does her homework um, because you can't be there. That's 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 poverty or that's necessity, but it's not neglect. So mm -hmm. we want parents to be able to make choices based on them knowing their kids, as opposed to somebody saying, well, I wouldn't let my child play in the park until they're 12 or whatever and calling 911. And even if they do call 911, then we would like, you know, the authorities to say, well, is the child okay? Yes, she's laughing. Is she, you know, does she look, uh, you know, homeless or, you know, I don't even want to get to the question of homeless because once again, you can look disheveled because you come from a, a family without a lot of money. That doesn't mean that you're not cared for and that you should be turned into the authorities. And frankly, having the authorities come to your home and say, you need to take parenting lessons or you need to do this or that, or we're going to take your kids away when really, you know, what I need is a break. I trust my kid. She comes home. You can see she just did her homework. Let's, let's assume that unless the child is actually neglected by somebody who is blatantly disregarding danger, that it's up to the parent. Because we're always going to have different levels of what we think is the exact level of, um, you know, supervision that um, we think is correct. So I, here's an interesting question uh, from Lawrence. Lawrence, welcome back. Um, and he asks, is the quote unquote fear something of something happening to your child uh, and the protective response. He's, he was asking if it has any, uh, if you see any patterns or correlations in terms of political ideology. I had the same question also in terms really of interesting. Um, yeah. regions. You know, my mother was uh, talking to me this morning about growing up in Louisiana and just taking a horse and <laughs> swimming, you know, just going off like for mm -hmm. until the, mm -hmm. So I don't, I don't know if, if you're seeing it, there are different places where it's, you know, just have a, a less is it income levels or. Yeah, um, I've been, you know, talking about the same topic now for the nine-year-old on the subway is 22. So um, I've been across the country and I've heard from people in cities and, the, you know, rural people. I haven't seen a particular thing that always indicates, oh, that's going to be a, um, a helicopter neighborhood, helicopter meaning that, you know, parents are um, expected to hover or not. Um, what was I going to think? There was, I mean, here's an example. I got a call from a guy named Stu Moore, 
who is a superintendent of schools in Moscow, Kansas, which is population 299. You think they could get, just have one, you know, bring in a kid for the day, for God's sake, get it up to 300, but it's 299 according to Wikipedia. And he called because of something I'm gonna describe in a little bit, which is the, the projects that we have that are free that we suggest that schools do to build more independence in the kids. And um, I said, why are you calling me from, you know, I'm looking at Moscow, Kansas's Wikipedia thing. You have 299 people there. And he said, yes, but here's what's changed. He's been the, I guess, working at the school for 20 years. And unlike 20 years ago, he can look out his window to houses that he can see from the school and the parents are driving, you know, backing out of the garage and driving the kids over to the school. And that, that just didn't used to happen. So it's not like um, the school is further from the kids or the weather patterns have changed. It's just the norms that have changed. I, I went back and looked and I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, Wilmette, Illinois. And I, um, where a mom was investigated for letting her eight-year-old walk the dog, I couldn't believe it. It became a national story. It's like, wow, that's my town. And, and I went to look in front of my school where I had walked uh, starting at age five and the crossing guard was a 10 year old. And the strangest thing about this story is that I married him, but that's another story. <laughs> he is, he's over there, we can call him in, you could see him. Didn't know that years later we would meet up again and marry. But um, now there's, uh, there's signs in front of the school, you know, one way traffic only during pickup and drop off hours. And that's new. I mean, it's the same catchment, it's the same school, it's the same suburb. And yet somehow kids aren't expected to walk themselves there anymore. So that's just a, a sea change. And you actually hear it in the words that we use because I'm, I'll bet when you were going to school in the morning, it was arrival, right? And in the afternoon it was, what? Oh, just departure. Departure, dismissal. And now mm -hmm. it's drop off and pick up. Wow. Isn't that cool? I mean, written into the words that we use is an adult who's mm -hmm. gonna drop them off like a FedEx package and then pick them up and take them to where they have to be next. And thus culture changes. And so what can change parents? Cause you're asking about you know, the fear level and who is it affecting? I'd say it's affecting the entire culture. It's, I've seen it on The Simpsons. I've seen it on, there's a new show called uh, Duncanville where they talk, I mean, it's just, it's just part of the culture now is to assume that kids are under the watchful gaze of the parents or the parents are negligent and the child is in danger. So what changes this? If it's not me and it's not the statistics and it's not my book and it's maybe not even the, the blessed coddling of the American mind book, what can change parents? And the answer is a push. And so what Let Grow does is we have a project, it's called the Let Grow Project, and it is simply this. We suggest that teachers give their kids the Let Grow Project as a homework assignment. And the assignment is this, mom, it says I have to come home and do something new on my own without you or dad <laughs> or my guardian. And look, here's a page of ideas. I can climb a tree, I can run an errand, I can make a muffin, I can walk to my friend's house, whatever it is. We have a hundred ideas, I cannot remember them all. But, and, and it doesn't mean that you can only do one of those. You can do whatever it is. If you live near the, you're in Louisiana, you can go shrimping, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. I have no idea what people do in Louisiana. You can make a beignet. What is that, mm -hmm. beignet, right? Yes, yeah. Yeah, yum. Um, 
the point is that the parents get this little push and because all the parents in that class or even that school or even that district are letting go to let grow, they do. And also the school said it was good for them. We send home a little letter that explains that independence is really a very good anti-anxiety thing. And mm-hmm. so their kid says, you know, okay, well, I, what I'd really like to do is climb the tree and, or I'd want to go to the park with my friends. And the parents say, mm-hmm. Mm, okay, you know, it's for school. It's a, you got to do it. And so they do it. And then that's the, that's the, the reward. The kid comes home and they're happy and they're sweaty and they're hungry and they had the greatest time and they met a squirrel and um, pretty soon it's normalized. And we've heard from like, my favorite quote was from a principal in one um, district in Long Island that had done the project just once with the whole school, uh, an elementary school. And the week after the project, she was driving home, same route, 17 years principal, and she saw four kids outside. Four is not a ton, but she saw two were on bikes, one was on a scooter, and one was on roller skates. And she actually stopped, you know, she's the principal, she can talk to them without them freaking out and said, you know, what are you doing now? And they said, oh, well, we just decided it was fun. And so we're trying to Mm re-normalize kids outside again and parents letting go. And then of course the kids start talking to each other. What did you do? Oh, I want to try that. Oh, you made one of those. Let me do that. And the parents talk and we're really, we're like, like, like Lady Bird Johnson, her big thing as first lady was to bring back wildflowers. What, how do you bring back wildflowers? Wildflowers are supposed to be wild. What do you do? And she sent out seeds, you know? And so you're growing something that's supposed to grow wild, but you have to goose it at some point. You have to make it, you have to at some point use an unnatural means to getting a natural end. And we are, that's what we're doing with kids. And we're doing it with parents. Parents don't feel, parents have been, had the fear sucked out of them. I don't blame any parents for being afraid in a culture that you can read the worst case scenarios all the time. Really, if you watch Law and Order, there's always some kid being kidnapped and raped. It's just horrible. Why is it on every single second of every single day? And then you watch a Liam Neeson movie and you think that trafficking is going on right and left. And then you get a note home from the school, you know, parents, we saw a van near the, the bus stop yesterday. And so Parents Magazine is telling you, bring they had one thing where it says, bring um, shoelaces whenever you go to another kid's house for, you know, whenever you bring your kid over there for a play date. Why? Why? A shoelace might break. <laughs> <laughs> That's almost sane. No, it's to tie shut the other family's cabinets. So oh, your boy. child, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so we've been brainwashed as parents to see everything through the lens of what could possibly go wrong. I mean, right. you we're referring to that article that I had in Cato Unbound about smothered mm-hmm. by safety. Well, you're told that everything is not safe enough and products are recalled because a button fell off of the, you know, the, the bunny's eye. And now you're recalling, you know, 1 million bunnies because somebody might eat the button and might be a choking hazard. So in this culture that is shoving fear down our throats because it sells and it's exciting mm-hmm. and we're in a litigious society and, you know, and we need eyeballs to get people to watch our site so that we get more ad revenue. Fear is out there to this degree. And what you need is a reality check and you need to be pushed. So the Lecro project gently pushes you into letting your kid do something that you would have done without a second thought, you know, a generation ago. And when, when it happens and the world doesn't collapse and your kid is happy and you're proud, that's what changes parents. So 
Let Grow is desperate to get the Let Grow Project and the Let Grow Play Club into more schools. The Play Club is just saying, keep the school open before or after school for mixed age, device-free, mm-hmm. you know, organize it themselves, free play, and put some junk out there, put some suitcases and basketballs and jump ropes and cardboard boxes. And that's as close as they're going to come to you going into a vacant lot with your friend and building a fort or into the woods and climbing a tree as you're going to get today. There's an adult there just in case of emergencies, but they don't organize it. They don't, uh, they don't solve the arguments. They don't say, why don't we make the teams this way? So you're doing all the interacting that is really good for kids and really good for democracy because you learn how to get along and how to deal with frustration and how to change the rules if the rules aren't working. And all that doesn't happen if you're in an organized activity. So between the Lecro Project and the Lecro Play Club, we really think that we can renormalize, you know, I'd say 100,000 years of human history of kids doing things on their own and, and coming up with solutions. Spectacular. All right, folks, we have about 15 more minutes, so we wow. can still get to, uh, yeah, I know. I myself over here, yeah. <laughs> it flies when, when you're having fun, and I'm having a lot of fun with you, Lenora. I know both of oh, you and I technically challenged uh, days. Um, so <sighs> yeah, speaking of that. moms, uh, we actually have a, a mom here in the audience, new mom, Erin Redding, uh, oh. wants to know, how do you best balance giving your child experiences and enough time, enough free time to be you know, bored and creative. Okay, wait, I'm actually answering this kit, this question myself. It's the Let Grow Project because the organization is Let Grow, which is sort of a pun on let go. So how much free time? How much free time you got? I mean, <laughs> you know, I think that there's time for so much in, in a week. You know, if a kid has a Saturday free, how amazing. Um, actually, one of John Height's ideas was why don't we encourage people to have free play Fridays, like keep yes. Friday after school free, you mm-hmm. know, no lessons, no nothing. And so kids can just play. There's a, there's a school in San Francisco, um, the Hamlin School, where I spoke actually a couple of times, private school, very lovely. And they keep the school open after school every day for free play and they encourage the parents to like don't schedule every afternoon on the other hand you know some scheduled stuff is great you know art lessons piano lessons i'm not saying you know have them live uh you know like a caveman but um i'd say just balance it and your kid will help you i mean my kids you know they were terrible at their music lessons and um they hated them and we couldn't stand listening to them and you know at some point we we all just said enough and gave them back some free time and they found other things to do. And uh, I know uh, the Erin the in particular who asked the question, I have seen a picture of her baby. Her baby. Oh, a baby, looks, yeah, baby you looks, gotta kind of look, look after. He, he is a tough, <laughs> tough looking uh, uh, baby. I call him the, the bruiser. So, uh, you know, hopefully she'll, she'll let him go and, and get, uh, get bruised uh, while, um, you know, learning about uh, consequences and, and taking risks and surviving things. So, so can, yeah. I, can I, wait, can we yeah, just talk is. about babies for one second? Sure, I mean, yeah. I do feel, you know, new parents are just bombarded with all the horrible stuff that could, you know, very slight chance of happening or all the normal stuff that has a big chance of happening, but isn't so terrible. So now did you realize they sell baby knee pads? Did you know <laughs> that? I, I, yeah. Your book. Oh, you read it about in my book. Yeah. yeah. 
So while I was writing, you said they're called kneecaps, you know, <laughs> right? They're just crazy. Kids are born with them, yeah. Yeah, their babies are born with baby knee pads that are, you know, called I guess fat, you know, or dimples, flesh. So while I was writing the um, the second edition of this book, which is sitting here, like you can actually here's here's a lot of it right now. Oh, right. I, what should I get? But in my emails, because I'm on the list of like mommy bloggers. Somebody wrote and said, you know, guess what? We have these wonderful new neoprene silicon baby knee pads. And, you know, these are great because they were developed by a... By babies. <laughs> you think? By babies, I, I, just like I you. would sort of trust one that was developed by a baby because it'd be cute. Um, actually, there are, there are the funny ones that are little mops that you put on them. And so then when they crawl oh, around, funny. they're actually mopping your floor, which I could, I could get behind. Um, no, this one said these, the, the knee pads were developed by a child physical therapist. And I thought this is back to what I'm, I'm trying to explain, which is that um, why is something being pitched to us parents as if our children need physical therapy when they are, are not disabled? You know, a disabled kid, early intervention is great. And I have friends who actually do that for a living. They're um, early intervention occupational therapists. But the idea that all children are in need of something developed by a therapist to, to get them through a normal stage of development, which is crawling, because if they are bruised or chafed or hurt or fall. That's something that they can't handle. That's the society that I'm talking about that drains all the, all the um, belief out of parents. The idea that your kid is gonna be okay. The idea that your kid can roll with some punches. And that's the society I'm trying to change. I mean, it is a, it's a big remit. <laughs> it is saying that a, a society that has decided to sort of brainwash us into believing that all children are in danger either physically or emotionally or socially or psychologically from, from everything. And so you have to be there buying something or doing something or watching them all the time. That's new. It feels normal to the new parents because that's what the parents magazine said and they're getting, you know, things in the mail and you better buy these knee pads. But in fact, it's, it's completely strange and undermining of our confidence and mm -hmm. our kids' confidence. Terrific. Um, we have 10 more minutes. I just uh, I see Alan, Alan Drugash. Uh, oh, I, I, should I say that? You know, I know Alan? him. I love yeah. him. Yes. So Alan, I, I uh, returned your call. So check your, your voice messages, but um, and thank you for supporting, uh, supporting, encouraging others, you know who, to do so as well. So Wait a Alan, minute, Alan, who are, <laughs> hmm, Alan, you and I should talk after this too. I wonder who you know who is. <laughs> it's very intriguing. Yes, he is very, uh, he's a proselytizer for the Atlas Society and we're, we're very grateful for, for him. Um, so Alan asks, how, and this is great, this is kind of a step back, how is the country doing overall in rest restraining over uh, reporting and policing of kid freedom activities? Is the trend going in, the, in a good way or in yeah. a bad way? So yeah, I mean, are you seeing, mm -hmm. clearly you, you guys are in the forefront of, of some legislative reform, the success of your book. So which, 
you know, no, which I, wasn't necessarily a good thing, but I, I, I think, uh, you know, the, uh, that show that you were talking about got canceled. Um, so, you know, but the, the negativity in the news continues, so. Yeah, um, I feel like there has been a shift. Mm -hmm. um, and I work with a fantastic uh, person named Diane Redleaf, who has been fighting the uh, unwarranted intervention in family life um, by the authorities for nigh on 40 years, sort of a civil rights activist, I'd say. And in particular, she's been upset by how often poverty is mistaken for neglect. Um, but she and I came on each other's radar maybe six years ago because here she was fighting that. And here I was um, really publicizing um, cases that I found egregious. Uh, I'll give you the, the there were two really famous examples, I would have to say. One was the Métive family, upper middle class, um, Maryland, Silver Spring. They let their children age 10 and 6 walk home from the park one Saturday afternoon, got the cops called on them. The cops came. After that, Child Protective Services came, and they were threatened with having their kids taken away from them if they didn't um, sign a form that said, I will never let my kids out of my sight again until this case is resolved. And then weirdly enough, it happened a second time. And this became a, a cause celeb because, you know, the parents tr trusted their kids, knew mm -hmm. the neighborhood. The 10-year-old was with the six-year-old. And why are not, why weren't parents allowed to make that decision when obviously they love their, and know their children best? And in the end, all charges were dropped, but it, it took almost, an, it was literally an international outcry. Then there was a case in South Carolina where uh, a, a single mom, Deborah Harrell, uh, has a nine-year-old kid. And um, in the summer, when the mom worked her shift at McDonald's, the daughter would always come with her and, you know, sit at a booth and not even a booth, you know, just table and play on the laptop while mom worked. Then the laptop was stolen. They, they had a burglary at the house, no more laptops. So the daughter said, could I go to the park instead? There's a park right near, you know, where the mom worked, where the kid lived. Splash Plaid, um, very popular, tons of kids there. And actually they served breakfast and lunch there. So there were adults there too. And the daughter goes there for day one. It's great. Day two, it's great. Day three, a lady says, where is your mother, little girl? And she says, oh, she's working. I actually have a phone. Do you want to call her? You'll see. And it's like, no, I don't want to call her. And she called 911. And oh. the cops came. They arrested the mom, Deborah. They threw her in jail. And they took away her daughter for 17 days. So um, this too became a cause celeb, as it should. And um, it had a, a yin yang effect. It had, everybody was on this, the same side as me. How dare the authorities um, arrest a mother who trusts her kid and whose kid is doing something that once again was not literally dangerous. Maybe the, 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 the disapproving lady who called thought it was dangerous, but literally 750,000 years, <laughs> you know, you're probably not going to have your kid taken, especially from a popular place with tons of kids around on a summer's day playing in the water, which to me sounds great. Not sad, not bad, great. And the mom knew her daughter. And so that was that. With the sort of publicity of those cases and other cases that I have to say, I keep, you know, when I hear people write to me and I write about them, mm -hmm. people are on our side. People are upset at the idea that parents would be second guessed 
or have to start second guessing themselves. Gee, I want my kid to walk to school. Am I going to be arrested? I want my kid. So on the one hand, I am grateful because why are five states considering laws that narrow neglect, narrow the definition of neglect to not include trusting your kid to do some things unless you're putting them in literal bad danger? Um, so that's good. But I don't want parents to feel so worried that they're going to be arrested, <laughs> that they don't send their kids outside, because once again, I'm trying to renormalizing it. And that's why, in a sense, the Let Grow Project and the legislation and the Play Club are all working in tandem to renormalize the idea that kids can play, kids can fall off their bikes, it's going to be okay, kids can wander, kids can get lost, kids can find their way back again, kids can meet a dog in the neighborhood, kids can play outside, they can play manhunt, they can play tag, they can play, you know, soccer in a field without it being organized and overseen all the time by an adult. So if kids are doing this and it starts looking more normal, like on Long Island where the principal saw the kids outside again, and especially if we pass some laws that say it sure is normal, it sure is up to the parents unless they're putting them in absolute danger, I think, you know, I mean, we've I've been thinking about it for 13 years. These are the elements that come together that do make it so that we can give the kids the independence they need. And, uh, you know, it's great for them and it's great for us. We get the independence too, to not always be Velcroed to our kids. When we trust them, we can show them that we trust them and they can have, you know, a free range, a let grow, an uncoddled childhood. Wonderful. Well, with that, you are amazing. We just uh, just about hit the nail on the head with oh, the yeah. time there. Um, so tell us, uh, where do we find you? How do we support you? Uh, oh, what great. Can we do? You told us a lot of the wonderful resources. Parents well, and parents and- what, a, what, a, what a lovely pitch. So Let Grow, we're a 501c3. Um, we love donations. With, the, with any donations, we are spreading the word further to more schools, to more parents. We have a website. We have these programs. You know, we're, we're getting the word out. And so your help is very much uh, needed and appreciated. Uh, if you're a parent or a teacher and you just want to see what we're up to, this, the website, it's, it's kind of hard to remember because people think it, it's let's grow or let's go. And in fact, it is let, L-E-T, grow, G-R-O-W, dot org. Although if you press dot com, we got that too. And that's where you'll find, um, we have, you know, that's where you can find the Let Grow Project. It's where you can find our advocacy page with, you know, descriptions of um, how you can get involved in changing the laws or, or you know, even, you know, creating a proclamation in your town that this is a, you know, we had, what is it? Ithaca, New York declared itself a free range town that they want wow. kids to be out and about. So you can get involved that way. There's downloadable posters. There's, um, there's the Let Grow Independence Kit, which just gives you a bunch of ideas for things that can do on their own. And, um, you know, and write to me, you know, if you write to info at Let Grow, I guarantee you that at some point I will see it. Um, and I'm Lenore, so you can find me. I'm so easy to find. And I would love to hear from you and I would love to talk to you some more. And, you know, I, I've laid my cards on the table. I think kids are smarter and safer and stronger than this crazy, terrified culture gives them credit for. I think it's an insult to the species. It's an insult to the moms. It's an insult to the kids. And we want kids growing up resilient and ready to get back on that bike. And we want them to be problem solvers and they can't be problem solvers if we're always there 
solving their problems. That is so true. As you uh, have said before, all that fear is, is not preventing death. It is preventing life. And we are the living and we, we want to, to live. So thank you, Lenore. Thanks uh, to all of you who joined us. Um, great questions, great engagement this week. Uh, please check out more of Lenore's work. Thank you for also your uh, support of the Atlas Society, those who have been enjoying these webinars. Um, next week, uh, please join us. Check out the time because we do, we have modified the time for our interview with uh, Nadine Strawson um, because she actually has to teach a class. And then also all of you um, coming up, you know uh, what Tuesday is. It is Ayn Rand's birthday and we're having a birthday party. <laughs> so uh, register and I and David Kelly and Stephen Hicks will see you there. So thanks, everybody. Bye.